Horror movies are more than just empty thrills. They are a mirror that reflects the darker sides of our culture and our psyche. Each episode, we will go beyond the first cut and discuss the themes and topics that hide below the surface. I'm Dave, Professor of Communication. And I'm Vince, Professor of Psychology. Welcome to A Dark Impression. Today we're going to be looking at John Carpenter as a director by focusing on his Apocalypse trilogy, spanning 12 years in the middle of his career. The films that we're going to be looking at are The Thing from 1982, Prince of Darkness from 1987, and In the Mouth of Madness from 1994. All in all, it's a wide spectrum of films. In here we have one of the most highly regarded horror films ever made, a fairly schlocky 80s classic, and an excellent entry into the earlier days of 90s psychological horror and an homage to Lovecraft. These films are all good in their own way. The cheesiness of Prince of Darkness compared to the tense The Thing and the chaotic In the Mouth of Madness provides good contrast and allows the films to never feel repetitive, even if they borrow the same elements, such as external entity wreaking havoc, characters trapped in a single location, ambiguous endings. Another thing these films share is initially mixed reviews, although The Thing quickly became a cult classic, and relatively weak box office performances. The Apocalypse trilogy represents a changing director, one who is fluid in the work he produces while not dwelling on past successes or failures. It also represents John Carpenter exploring global crises through thinly veiled horror depictions, pathogens long buried in permafrost, the AIDS epidemic, and mental illness. I was curious, so how did you get into that trilogy, and, and what are some things that caught your attention about those three movies? Well, I, I guess for me, I didn't even realize it was a trilogy until you brought it up. I hadn't seen Prince of Darkness in its entirety. I, I, I saw bits and pieces of it on like uh, USA or something like that, you know, edited for TV version. But I, I, I probably saw the thing first. And then I remember watching In the Mouth of Madness in college. So that was early 2000s. And then, yeah, just what? two weeks ago or something, Prince of Darkness, which I thought was a lot of fun. Definitely reminded me of some of the very solid, very laughable 80s films that I saw growing up, but in a good way, in a, in a very good way. So so that was really, I think The Thing was probably my first introduction to John Carpenter. And then from there, I, like I've seen other, of course, other others of his films, including Halloween for this, but I saw that a long time ago as well. I've seen that a few times. And, you know, I, I tend to really like him. A, probably not my favorite horror director of that time period. I think I'm, I'm probably more of a David Cronenberg guy, but John Carpenter really helped to to shape the way that modern horror developed. So, so yeah, how about you? What were the films? What order did you watch them in? What did you see first? It's funny you mentioned the video store story because I also had a video store where I grew up that had these two brothers always wearing black these kind of big film buffs. And I think the first one they recommended to me was In the Mouth of Madness. It must have been mid-90s. I was deep into reading Lovecraft, and so I was looking for movies that could have a Lovecraftian theme. And so they recommended In the Mouth of Madness, which, first time I saw it, loved it. And then I think I saw Prince of Darkness and then The Thing, or vice versa. But what I do know is I saw In the Mouth of Madness before I saw anything else from John Carpenter. And I loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it from the first time I saw it. And I think, I, yeah, I saw those before I saw Halloween. Like, this is this is how much that trilogy 
kind of means to my my discovery of scary movies. I I don't know what it is about those three movies. I don't know if it's the the aesthetic. I don't know if it's the themes that are in it. I don't know if it's the the feeling of claustrophobia. But I think they achieve each in their own way something that I don't know if it was present in other movies the way that Carpenter did it. Um, yeah, there's there's just a, a certain flavor, a certain, as the French say, I don't know what, that that resonates from those movies. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing that I really like about his work, and maybe this has something to do with what you're talking about or not. Music. The, the music, yes, composed yes. by John Carpenter. No, I, I, I like the things never get too scary or too tense that he can't make a joke. Right. In all of the films, there's like that little bit of like really dry humor. Mm-hmm. And he, he kind of amps it up in some films and tones it down on other films, but it's always there. And yep. there's always kind of like at least one like really kind of is, is this a joke or is he being serious? <laughs> and you're never quite sure. And, and I really like that about his films. Like he's, he, he's very aware of himself as a filmmaker and he never, he never takes himself too seriously along the way. The other thing I like is he never tries to do things that he can't do well, or at least in those three movies, mm. he did not try to do things that he couldn't do well or within the budget. So yeah, yeah. aside from probably a huge stipend to get Alice Cooper, he didn't try to do anything too big, too grandiose one location really efficient for Prince of Darkness. I mean, the, the the special effects for the thing are pretty intense, but he's never trying to do anything that's too much. Or if it is, it's barely a little too much. Yeah, yeah. What he does is actually pretty good and has aged relatively well and is still pretty disturbing. That, that head on the tiny little spider legs... Mm-hmm, still mm-hmm. awesome same yeah, thing for yeah. in the mouth of madness he never pushed the special effects or anything past what they were able to do well for the time and even now it's it's what it's nearly 30 years old that movie and it's still there's one special effect that you're like eh, nowadays it would probably be better with cgi but anything else it's all practical effects it's all pretty terrifying i love it yeah, yeah. well he, he's a very grandma practical with the filmmaker. Axe and tentacles yeah yeah, yeah he's a, he's a very practical filmmaker because he got his yeah. he got his start doing really low budget films you know single location stuff like the original assault on precinct 13 that takes mm-hmm. place in a police station you know for example so he I, I think i think very early on he realized the the value of a dollar and he figured out ways that like composing his own music Ways mm-hmm. that he can significantly save money, but still make something that is good or that he likes that he would watch. Right, and I and I you know I respect that. I think that he even even when he has the big budgets, he's still like a very lean filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not just like blowing money willy nilly. He's he's okay. using it for a purpose. Yeah, before the age of of Pandora, Spotify, YouTube, where you can listen to anything anywhere anytime you want. Um, I remember searching going to all the used music cd stores to find the freaking soundtrack for in the mouth of madness 
And I still like to listen to that soundtrack, even though it's not a John Williams or Hans Zimmer kind of classical and inspiring soundtrack. I still like to, you know, spook myself out and listen to that soundtrack. <laughs> We're talking okay. about the, the one location. So that's kind of a, a theme in that, that trilogy, the one location. I was wondering if you could comment on that and if there's another theme that kind of pops to those movies. I always really like one location films because it really gives us room to explore the characters and how they interact, mm -hmm. not just to the external threat, like the, the creature from the permafrost or whatever, but also to each other and right. how, how their relationships grow and deepen. So you end up with something that I think a lot of modern horror films miss, which is character interaction and well-developed characters with their own motives and goals and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. Certainly there are, there are great filmmakers now that, that get that, but I feel like a, a lot of like, maybe like mid budget horror films that are just trying to make money. Um, they mm -hmm. really skip on all of that stuff. They they, they yep. bypass it because it's not scary, but it makes you want the characters to live or die or whatever. It gives you something to root for. So I really like how he uses that to put us in the same shoes as the characters because we don't leave either. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing things as they see them for the most part. Mm -hmm. in, in terms of bigger bigger picture themes i mean i know you want to talk about mental health and mental illness which is definitely something throughout that i am not i would say qualified to talk about as much as you are so i'll leave that to you but you know i think some of the things i mentioned in the beginning the the aids epidemic and prince mm -hmm. of darkness like the idea of i mean the first from from the moment that i, I saw how the i guess quote unquote sickness was spread mm -hmm. was through bodily fluids Yep. And like erupting bodily fluids. I was like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> and not like not in a zombie way, I bite you and now you're you're infected. Right. It like was exploding out of the yeah. mouth. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I was like, oh, okay, what what's happening in the world at this time? AIDS. I mm -hmm. think that this is a an allegory. And mm -hmm. so, you know, for, for something like that, I mean, you have this like green, obviously toxic fluid that's like slowly seeping out. It changes people, it causes them to to act differently, but it also causes them to to look a little bit different too. Mm -hmm. And then also you're you're spreading it through through bodily fluids. I really like when horror film explores social issues from when it's being mm -hmm. made because it helps to ground it and it helps to yes. make the stakes higher. Um, yes. and it also allows us to to explore our fears of say something like, you know, a, a transmissible virus mm -hmm. through through ways that might not be socially acceptable. Right. So, you know, you might be afraid of, say, the, the AIDS epidemic, but, you know, you really don't have anybody you can express that fear to. So you get to watch it on screen and you get to share the fear that the, the, the other characters are going through. Mm -hmm. And it might not be exactly the same, but there is overlap. So, yeah. so you, maybe this is overthinking it, but, you know, you get a chance to, to process your own fear by, yeah. by watching things like that. Yeah. I, I mean, also in the eighties, we knew barely anything about HIV and, and then AIDS. The media was yeah, yeah pushing it in a way that really made it terrifying. So I'm not surprised that John Carpenter would have this green gooey fluid that, yeah, as a, perfect metaphor for it yeah that and, and you know i think in in many ways 
the thing that we're dealing with now is climate change. And I was, I was reading an article in, I want to say the New Yorker or the Atlantic, one of those about how the melting permafrost will release pathogens that may or may not harm us um, right? simply because they were trapped in ice. And as I was watching the thing, I'm like, oh man, this is the same story. <laughs> we're going to yep. have like mutant dogs and heads with spider legs and stuff running around like that. So that's, you know, that's what our future looks like, but very ahead of, ahead of the time. You know, it's it was scary in the 80s, but thinking about what we know now and the state of the world now, I think that in many ways it's it's become timeless. So yeah. it's not just an 80s movie. Now it's a movie about things that we are we're currently facing. It might not be like alien threats, but it doesn't mean that yet. they're any yet, yes. But it doesn't mean that the threats are any less existential, right? Obviously the film is much more it's more about the not knowing kind of who to trust, that type mm-hmm. of thing. But there is that that kind of undercurrent that I think carries through to today. Mm-hmm. When you said, like, we're going to have mutated dogs, I just had <laughs> a terrifying vision of the SPCA or whatever ads with the Sarah McLaughlin song that just tears at your soul, like, in the <laughs> arms of an angel, but with a mutated dog. <laughs> I just had that vision in my head. That yeah. was not a good yeah. vision. No, no. No more mutated I, I, dogs, please. <laughs> I'm just picturing Penny with... So Penny, <laughs> for those of you that don't know, I have a very small golden doodle. She's like 25 pounds of, of hate. And I can just picture her becoming a uh, one of those creatures busting through the window and just devouring the mailman. That would yes. be... Yeah, she would do that. So, so t- talk to me about me- mental health and mental illness and how it relates to, I think that one of the, one of the big films, especially is in the mouth of madness, but there's definitely mm-hmm. a mental health and mental illness in all of these films. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I, I mean, there's a lot to unpack across those three movies. All three of them center around a, a set of protagonists that have to be very careful and wary of other people it's from the outside you can look at it as as anxiety or paranoia but when the threat is real is it really anxiety or paranoia in in the thing like anyone could be infected so there's that that very interesting dilemma in all characters of Am I maximizing my chances of survival by establishing a kind of utilitarian relationship with other people? knowing that there's a risk that they might be infected. So if I, I work with them, putting myself at a greater risk, or do I try to isolate myself, but then I'm on my own. So my chances of survival are also decreased. So there's this weird kind of calculation that's that's happening. And and that's the kind of trust, mistrust. What, how do I relate with the others? And then Prince of Darkness has this beautiful kind of in-group, out-group yeah, dynamic right. of, of people get converted to that out group that becomes more and more menacing. And then the in group kind of becomes smaller and smaller in, in, in the mouth of madness, there's just John Trent. And for a while he has an ally in Linda styles, but that doesn't last too long. So the, the it's less the social aspect of, of psychology and the, the social aspect of, of, human relationships, but in the mouth of madness, it's like the title says it, it's, it's the loss of control. It's the obsessive nature of uh, 
I, I don't know how much he was commenting on that, but there's a comment on the obsessive nature of fans that glorify mm. an author, but what happens when that author is actually just channeling these ancient demonic entities? There's, and I have to give props to the YouTube channel, What Culture Horror, that noted that every time there's a close-up on someone in that movie who is now under like the control of the, the, the antagonist, their eyes come out really blue and bright and often with two irises. So there's something in the eyes that reveal mm. their, their state of mind. And then it's like the, the main character is convinced that he is still saying that he's in control, but he realizes eventually that he is just another puppet. And there's this yeah, aspect of this, this grand realization of having absolutely no control over your, your life. That's a really roundabout way to say that it's, it's interesting how mental illness is approached in that movie, this loss of control, this feeling of an external entity, essentially just shaping your reality and you still being convinced that whatever you're feeling it's you're still in control you're still it's the rest of the world that's not that's not in balance but you're you're still in control i don't know there's something really interesting that that's a very cosmic horror thing too no yes like the 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 lovecraft like something that is beyond my my comprehension is yeah is dictating what i do Mm-hmm. Probably one of my favorite scenes in that movie is relatively innocuous, but it's the scene where he's riding on the bus from, we have to say, New Hampshire. So you have Classic. Los Angeles as the center of evil for a Prince of Darkness. You have the Antarctica for the thing, and you have New Hampshire for In the Mouth of Madness. Yes, yeah, he's it is riding the bus. Life, yeah. It's, I, yeah. Art imitating life. But he's riding the bus, and then all of a sudden, the, the bad guy, Sutter Kane, is beside him and says, uh, when you wake up, look around you. If I ever told you my favorite color was blue, he wakes up and everything is blue. 16-year-old me thought that was the coolest idea and the coolest thought of you wake up, everything else about you is still normal-ish. But now the whole world has, has gone blue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how would you react to that? Would you assume that you're the one that is just like, no, no, I'm, I'm the one that is experiencing something. Or would you think, oh my God, like the world has gone completely bonkers. And that's, I think that's, that's the interesting thing about how that movie portrays mental health and, and mental illness is in, in a lot of cases, it's hard to accept that you are dealing with a psychological condition, whether it's it's anxiety, whether it's depression, schizophrenia, bipolar, whatever, it's it's not something that's necessarily easy to embrace and to accept. So you will deny, and so you're still the one that's normal. It's everything else that's not necessarily normal. I think that was an interesting way to portray mental health in that movie. What do you think is the legacy of those movies? Because the last one came out in 1994. It was almost 30 years ago. What's the legacy? A lot of people know the thing. A lot of people have seen the thing, Mm -hmm. even if they're not big, you know, early eighties horror fans, they've still seen the thing because it has a a reputation that Mm -hmm. precedes it in many regards. So I think that that, 
that kind of will live on in the, I guess, like the popular zeitgeist, simply because people enjoy it, people reference it, people talk about it, sort of like Nightmare on Elm Street and mm-hmm. Halloween and Friday yeah. the 13th. Like it's, it, I think it stands with those with those types of films. I don't think it has as much of a direct legacy as something like Halloween, where you can look at all of the slasher movies that came after and say, yes, this is very much where that sensibility started. But I think okay. there were a lot of films, maybe indirectly related to the thing, films that explore, I, I suppose, more dramatic elements of mm-hmm. of horror. And I think it's looking at an existential threat that is not from this planet. So we're stepping right. away from demons, ghosts, worlds, very earthly creatures. And mm-hmm. we're starting to look to the stars thinking, oh, there's that whole big universe right something that's truly unknown right it's it's not it's not grounded in the laws as we see them right a movie like i guess going chronologically a prince of darkness oh you like prince of darkness i enjoyed prince of darkness but i i think it's relatively niche you're gonna get people who like 80s films that are gonna watch it people who like alice cooper are gonna watch it i don't think there's gonna be like a resurgence in anytime soon where people are like all watching Prince of Darkness and reveling in it because it's very much situated as a mid to late eighties horror film, which is not to say it's the best horror film in the world, you know, or maybe it is to say that. I'm going to propose two things for you as far as a legacy for that movie and, and correct me if, if you want. First, I don't know that we would have had, Alice Cooper in Wayne's World if it wasn't for Alice Cooper in Prince of Darkness. Yeah, getting his acting chops out. Okay, yep. And he started with quite the challenge. And two, in that movie, you get this kind of science blends with religion theme as opposed to science is opposed to religion. We get this this, first foray into quantum physics and, and that being kind of a more mystical... And I think we've seen some movies that that tap into that general theme. So it would have been kind of a precursor for the theme of of forbidden knowledge that is both religious and scientific. Boom. That is my proposed legacy for that really well-known movie. I would say that there are (laughs) other films that have, you know, explored the idea before Prince of Darkness of... Okay, okay. Name me five uh, of those. Oh, well, so so altered states is one. I'm pretty sure flatliners came out before. Yeah, so. Well, I guess I have two. So, but yeah, and and who's seen you know flatliners? That is true. Wait a minute. It was a really good movie. I I really I know, liked I it. I loved flatliners. Yeah, that scared the oh. Jesus out of me when I was younger. Okay, so fine. Maybe maybe not like a, a, a but, but but precursor, but but I agree precursor. with you that it is okay. a. Yeah, it's it's an interesting theme that is that is rich for exploration and in many ways still today can be. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's tapped out. Um, nope. You know, I think that it kind of comes and goes. Like there'll be like one or two movies that kind of look at the intersection between religion and science related to horror, and then mm-hmm. it goes away for a little while and then it comes back. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that there's there's a lot of stories still to be told in that in that space. Okay. In the Mouth of Madness, I think, is, yes. you know, v- very much similar to, at least for me, to, to Prince of Darkness. Like, if you, if you like 
Lovecraft and you like those styles of films, you'll seek it out and you'll watch it. But I think that there is a a gap between it and your your average viewer. Yeah, I, I think that's that's what I always found to be the biggest appeal of that movie is it's not a movie about an external threat, whether it yeah, is it's great. A, a physical one or a metaphysical, spiritual, religious, ecumenical threat. The threat is that starting at a certain point, reality dissolves and becomes mm-hmm. something wholly different. And there's no there's no one to fight. There's no one to there's no threat to escape. Reality has decided to check out, go on a vacation, and get a replacement. And I think there's I don't know that there is any other horror movie that ends quite the way that In the Mouth of Madness ends, which has the main character portrayed, I gotta say, by a speak. Sam Neill. Bury his performance in Jurassic Park in the Mouth of Madness, I think, is is really like the perfect role for him. But seeing him last scene starting to laugh, laugh until he starts sobbing, and those two mixing with like the, the end credits rolling, I thought that was the perfect ending for that movie, and that's not something that you see often in in scary movies. So I think its legacy is that it stands as a challenge for for new movies to come out and make us think, what would be the most horrible thing that could happen? Is it a monster? Is it the son of the devil that wants to bring daddy home from behind the mirror? Or is it reality that dissolves into something completely different and where there's no rules, rhyme, or reason. I think that's the, the, the question that John Carpenter asks of his viewers across that trilogy is, of the three endings, which one do you think is most terrifying? Thanks for taking the time to listen to A Dark Impression. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Rating and reviews make the world a scarier place. Consider leaving one wherever you get your podcasts. A Dark Impression was produced and edited by Vincent Dave. All movies are copyright their respective sources. Music is from Adobe Stock. All rights reserved.